Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. We pray, God, for everyone. We thank you for those who are here for the very first time, God. We pray it would not be their last time. We're glad that they're here for a reason. And God, we pray that you would speak to their hearts. Every mother's heart is heavy today or a heart that wants to be a mom. God, we pray that you would lift that heart. We pray that you would bring the healing and strength that is needed into every situation and circumstance. Because I thank you, God, we're not going through it alone, but we're together. We have a family, God, and and we're better together. And God, I pray that we would realize that and connect with other people and be involved with other people. We love you. We praise you. We adore you. In Jesus' name, shout amen in the house. Come on, high five two people around you and say, man, you, you cleaned up pretty good today. Looking, looking, looking pretty good. Looking good today. There you go. Looking good. Looking good. Well, today it's my honor for us to continue our current series that we're in. The series that we're covering is It Is Written. Say with me, It Is Written. And I know two weeks ago when we began this message, I know for me personally, I can only speak for myself, but this past two weeks, I have got more out of God's Word than I have for the last two months. And it's all just because of having a different attitude and a different desire for God's Word. As I preach a message to you, it's already been preached to me. I'm preaching to myself before I even stand up here. In fact, God preaches the messages to me that I deliver to you. And I have to make sure that I'm living that and not being a hypocrite. And and I've been challenged as I get out the Word. And I've been saying, God, today I want something. And there's been many days that a verse has just really jumped out to me. And you may say, well, Pastor, I want that to happen for me too. I want that. Pastor, how come that hasn't happened for me? Well, my first question I'm going to ask you is this. Are you reading your Bible? Are you reading? You've got to read it in order for it to come alive to you. And look at this statement. You develop a taste for something while eating it. You can't develop a taste for a Hershey bar unless you've eaten it. By the way, Hershey's is disgusting. You've got to eat English chocolate. That's real chocolate right there. But you can't develop a taste for anything until you begin to eat it. A lot of us are waiting for God's Word to be something so powerful and alive in us, but we've got to start reading it. You, you, you want the desire many times without the discipline. And so we've got to discipline ourselves and start to do it. And as we do that, the desire comes, the taste for it comes. And I believe that God's Word is exactly that. It's something that can feed you because it's called the bread of life. And it's something that we can feed on and nurture on and will grow your life each and every day. So two weeks ago, we talked about building your life upon God's Word. How do we read God's Word? We need a revelation of God's Word. Well, how do we get a revelation? We've got to have, or or rather through faith, but how do we get faith? We've got to have a revelation. How do we get a revelation? It's got to be meditation. We've got to dwell on God's Word, and we took you through that. We gave you practical ways. Get a paper Bible. 
Get one. Electronic Bibles are great, but there's something about having your Bible, your own Bible and something. Get in a plan, a reading plan. We send one out every day. Be a part of that. Call us at the office if you're not getting that so we can get you locked in. Be in church to hear the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And let God's Word read you. Don't just read it to check the box. Say, God, I want you to speak to my life today because his word is living and alive. So today I want to talk to you and try to help you to understand the Bible. A lot of people say to me, well, pastor, I just don't understand the Bible. I want to help you with that because understanding the Bible is vital for us to be able to know the truths that God's word possesses for each of our lives. So I want to help you through this course. Here's, what, here's my goal. I want you to love God's word. I want you to learn God's word. And I want you to live it. I want you to love it, learn it, and live it. And just realize that it's something for today, for your life. Look at the scripture from Matthew seven twenty four. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching, that's my word, and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds his house on a solid rock. Notice it says, Not just those who listen, but those who follow it, those who do it. I don't want to just know God's word. I want to do God's word. I want to live God's word. I want to put it to action in my life. And here's the reason why you need to do that. The next verse, though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise. Sounds like our community this last few days. The winds will beat against that house, but it will not collapse Because it is built on a bedrock. It is built on a rock. I'm telling you right now, storms of life are coming. Trials, tribulations, pressures, adversities, struggles that are going to test your faith. Those things are coming, but you've got to be prepared. And you know how you can be prepared? Through living and reading and knowing and understanding God's life by building your word upon it. Because God's word is that which gives us the instruction. To live a life that is pleasing to God. So what's my goal through this series? For you to make God's word a joy and not just a discipline. Starts with a discipline. I need to do it every day. But I want it to become alive to me. I want to understand it. I want to know it. I want to see it. And so I can take it. Because what you understand, you're going to enjoy more. As you begin to understand something, you're going to enjoy it more. So we have got to understand God's word and refuse to allow our minds and our hearts to be blinded. And I know this is a tough challenge to try and help you understand God's word in like 30 minutes, but I'm going to do a good job. And they haven't put my timer up, so I'm, I'm good. So I've got like 55 minutes to go right now. And so you're in trouble right now. But I'm going to try and give you a skeleton overview and help you to understand God's word. The word Bible actually means book. In the original language, the word is biblios. It's a book, but the Bible is not just a book, it's the book. It's a book with a capital B, because this book happens to be the most read, published, sold, celebrated, and persecuted book ever in history. The Bible, the Word of God. And look, the Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years in over a dozen different countries, three different continents, in three different languages, and by 40 different people. Think about that for a moment. Just think about that for a second. 
That would mean if a book like the Bible was written today, the first person writing it would be writing it in 400 AD. Think about how this world was 1,600 years ago in 400 AD. And someone would start writing there and still be written up to this day. And now, that would be impossible if one person even was able to do that. And they weren't over 1,600 years. But think about this. We have the same theme without contradiction. 1,600 years it's been written by over 40 people. 12 nations, countries, continents, languages, but no contradiction. That's incredible. And look at the people who wrote God's Word. They were poets, prophets, princes, kings, sailors, soldiers, attorneys, doctors, farmers, scholars, shepherds, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, and businessmen. And here's where they wrote God's Word. They wrote it in caves, ships, homes, palaces, prisons... And not deserts, but deserts. <laughs> deserts. Deserts. So when you think about this, how is it possible? Here's my question. How is it possible that they could come up with the same story? They couldn't go to the library and take the latest volume down and look and say, okay, I'm going to read and I'm going to write the next volume. It wasn't there. They couldn't Google it. They couldn't search it. They couldn't pick up the phone and call and say, what was it you wrote about so I can write the same thing? They didn't even have phones. There was no communication between the people who wrote it. They didn't come together and say, let's let's do this. 1,600 years, they were dead and gone before the next person. So how is all of this possible? How can I trust the Bible? We're going to talk more about that next week. You need to be here. We're going to talk some apologetics, how you can defend the Bible and how you can trust it. But here's the answer. Here's the reason why. Because there were 40 writers, but there was only one author. There was only one author, and that author is God. Man, I could leave this message right now and go home and say, wow, the Bible is incredible. Because no other book can lay fame to that. 1,600 years. 40 writers but one author, and the author is God. You see, God's Word is inspired. That's what it's called, God-breathed. We see that from 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Say inspiration. Inspiration. God-breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in all righteousness, that the man of God, that you and I may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So many of us as children of God are not complete in our lives is because we're not reading God's Word. Because the Bible says it's His Word that will make us complete. It's His Word that will equip us to do the work that God has called us to do. So we talked about it two weeks ago. It's by God's Spirit. God breathed it, but God didn't just breathe it. He also accompanied that breath, that power. A power that we can fulfill it. So God didn't just speak His Word. He gave us the power that we need to live the Word, to complete the work, and to live it out in each and every one of us. So help me to understand it, Pastor. Okay, the Bible is actually not written in order. There's order to the Bible, but chronologically the Bible isn't written. So if you would read through Genesis, through Revelation, it wouldn't read as a normal book that you would begin and end. You've actually got to understand that the Bible is written in 
groups of books. Four groups actually in the Old Testament and four groups in the New Testament. So let's look at the Old Testament quickly. The first grouping that we would see is what is called the law. That's the five first books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch means five. The first five books of the Bible written by Moses, the story of Israel, the bondage, the promise coming into. We see the story, the law that was given. The next grouping that we see in the Bible is what's called historical books. There's 12 of these. They begin with Joshua and they end with Esther. This is really the beginning of the story of the children of Israel coming out of bondage, stepping into their promise, and we see the conquest, we see the battles, we see what they do. And in Esther, we actually see that the Jewish nation and the people were taken away into exile. Actually, the book of Esther is the end, historically, in time of the Old Testament. It's not the last book in the Old Testament, but it's actually the last part of the Old Testament. The next part or group that we see is what's called poetical. Poetical are five books. That's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. These actually could be interjected in the historical part. So what we just saw, the 12 books, these were written during that period of time. And one thing that's actually very fun, and you can purchase these or on version, you can read it this way. There is actually chronological Bibles. Bibles that are written in chronological order. So as you're reading it, all of a sudden in in one of the historical books that you're reading, you'll have a psalm or a proverb that will be dropped in there. And that's why, because that was the time when it was written. The last group that we see is what's called the prophetical books. There's actually 17 of them. They're broken into two subgroups, major and minor prophets. Major doesn't mean that we need to pay more attention to it. It just means it tends to be a bigger book. The minor prophets, some of them can be only a chapter or a little page long. But we see five major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then the minor prophets that are listed there. Again, their prophecies, what they spoke, what they foretold, all appears in the historical section of the Bible. Now, we come to the end of the Old Testament. At the end of the Old Testament, there's actually what's known as 400 years of total silence when it comes to God's Word. History obviously kept going. It was during this time that the Jews came out of exile that we read of in Esther. And they came back to Jerusalem from Babylon. This was the Greek conquest. Alexander the Great was during this time. And one of the great things that we know happened was the Roman conquest. Because we see when the New Testament begins that Jerusalem, the children of Israel, are under the ruling of the Roman Empire that has basically almost taken over the world of that day. So as we begin the New Testament after the 400 years of silence, it begins with a group called the Gospels. The Gospels is four books. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's very interesting, and you need to know this, that these are four different accounts of the same story. So it's the same story seen through the eyes of four different people. So it gives a different viewpoint to circumstances and stories. But the story that they tell is all about the life of Jesus. 
We read of in the Gospels how Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was rose again and resurrected. But then he was ascended to heaven. And after he ascended, the next book that we see is the book of Acts. This is the historical portion of the New Testament. So in the New Testament, this is the record of the early church, the first church. This is the history, really, of the New Testament. Then, the next grouping that we have is called the epistles. The epistles are letters, such as what Paul had written. We studied one a few weeks ago in Galatians. But those are from Romans all the way through the book of Jude. And we see that they are letters, again, when written written to the people in the book of Acts time, the stories and the time frame that we see right there, all interjected into that passage of Scripture. And then the last grouping or the last book that we see is the book of Revelations, known as the Apocalypse. That's what Revelations means, the Apocalypse. And the book of Revelations is the prophecy of the last days still to come. And then eternity and talks about the new heaven and the new earth. Kind of hard to understand, but yet that's to come. That's the future and what. So that's God's word in its grouping and structure. And to me, that kind of helps when I realize that. Because now it makes sense when I think, well, how come that kind of says something that went before? When we understand the groupings, it can help us to understand and see how it's all comprised and how it's put together. But I want to take it one step further today. I want to give you a picture of the Old Testament and the New Testament and show you how they perfectly mirror each other. What you see in the Old, you see in the New, and vice versa. So we're going to begin at the beginning. In Genesis, that's the beginning of the Bible. We see the creation of this world. God made man in His image. God was made in the image, or man was made in the image of God because God wanted to have fellowship and to walk with him. So the Bible begins here. God and righteous man in paradise. He didn't know sin. He was perfect. He knew beauty and graciousness and and blessing. Man, if you could imagine in your wildest dream beauty and perfection, that's where man was in paradise with God. The story of the Garden of Eden, just hanging out with God, just just naming animals and just chilling every day with God. God would come and hang out with him. Wow, it was absolutely incredible. What a life. But then the next thing that we see, Satan and sin enter. It doesn't take long before Satan shows up and he comes in the form of a serpent and he tricks Eve into making her question God. Did God really say that? Oh, God just knows that you'll be like him. She is deceived into thinking that. So what does she do? She eats of the fruit. She gives to her husband and it results now that when God is coming to hang out, they're now hiding from God. Instead of the joy of hearing his voice and, and, wow, I can't wait to see you, God. Now they're hiding and God asks them a question. Why why are you hiding? And they say, we're naked. We're, We're ashamed. God said, who told you that you were naked and ashamed? What had happened is sin had caused a separation. That's what sin does. Sin is a separating factor. It separated man from God. So now man has to be removed in his sinful state from the garden, the the paradise, the hangout that he had with God. And a gap was 
created. Never God's plan, never God's purpose. Because as I said, we are the only things made and created in the image of God. For what reason? So He could have relationship with us. God longs to have relationship, but sin wants to destroy that, cause a separation and create a gap from God. And some of you know what I'm talking about because maybe you were forced to be here or maybe you were, you, you were kind of tricked to be here today. And you know where you're at right now. You don't feel close to God. Maybe you're here because you want to be here, but you're struggling. There's a gap between you. and That's what sin wants to do in everything of our lives. And then when sin takes over our life, the next result is chaos. Because we all know the fruit of our sin. Hello. And we could talk about that for a long time, but we know the chaos it brings to our minds, our bodies, our families, right. our health, our well-being, just chaotic. And as a result of the chaos that came from the sin and the rebellion of God, what do we see in God's Word? The world was judged and the world was destroyed. It's the story of Noah. God looks down and he finds a righteous man and he says, build me an ark. For what, God? I want, I want to save the world. But it was sad that the only thing that was saved was Noah and his family. Eight people in total. Everyone else turned their back and turned away from God. And they were lost. But it didn't take long that when Noah and his family left the ark for chaos to once again begin to rule and reign. And it came back and and man rallied together. And what did man say? Hey, we're going to be like God. God, God ain't going to flood us off this earth again. So we're going to build a tower. We're going we're gonna to touch heaven. We're going we're gonna to bypass God. We're going to be gods. We're going to do that. So, so what did they do? They instituted a one world government system. They came together as one. And God even recognized the power of this because the Bible says that God came down and saw what they were doing in their sin. And God said, if they can do this as one, There is nothing that can be withheld from them. So God had to separate that. He had to cause division to that. So what did he do? He confused their languages. We see it in the Bible. That's why it's called the Tower of Babel. He came down and confused people who were speaking as one. And as a result, they were dispersed all over the world of that day. And they began to form tribes and nations and different people groups. And that's where the nations that we see now and speak in the different languages came from. But even after this, as God divided them and said, it still wasn't working. There was chaos everywhere. So God got involved again. And here's what God set up. God set up his people. He took 12 tribes, the tribes of Israel. He set them up to be his holy people. He gave them the laws and he gave them the commandments through them. And through them, Israel, his goal was for them to take his law, for, him to, for them to take his instruction to the rest of the world. And really, that's what the rest of the Old Testament is all about. God's law, sacrifices, man trying to find God, man trying to be good enough but wasn't. And chaos still was ruling and reigning in the world. Because you see up to now, what is happening? Everything that's taken place is all external. When sin came in and separated man in the garden, now man is trying externally to do things to please God. It's not what he feels, it's what he has to do out of obligation. So man is trying to find God through obligation, external things, trying to be good enough. That was never God's original design and plan. 
And really the message that we see throughout the entirety of the Old Testament is this. We cannot do it and we cannot make it without Him. Because no matter how much we obey, how much the instruction we follow, how many sacrifices we offer, we could never be good enough. So God desired to make it eternal, His purpose, His plan. So how would He do that? God's plan was Jesus Christ. I say God's plan was Jesus Christ. It was and it still is God's plan. Because Jesus is the hope of the world. God's plan is all about Jesus. That's why on the diagram, Jesus is top and center in all of this. Why? Because he's got to be the top and the middle of everything that is done. Remember what I've said to you before. Hell is a place where people go when they want to pay for their own sins. You want a great definition of hell? There it is, where people go to pay for their own sins. Because you cannot pay the price for your sin and it will take you to hell trying. But thank God, by His grace and mercy, it's not what I deserve. But as I come to Him and ask and I receive His grace and mercy, there's forgiveness that comes and I don't have to do those things. So God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, not to write the laws on tables of stone or tablets of stone like we see in the Old Testament, but God sent Jesus to write His law, to give His instruction, His truth now upon the hearts. Of mankind. And how does he do that? Jesus came to earth and he handpicked, look, his 12 disciples. His 12 disciples. From them came the early church, the church that we see today. So now God restores and gives man an opportunity once again to be in relationship with him. And so man now has a chance to love God again, to be forgiven. To find his plan and purpose. And really this is where we are living right now. We are living in the place where we can find God and have relationship with him. But unfortunately people by the millions today are still denying Christ and still turning their back. And it breaks my heart. I think about the thief on the cross. One said remember me Jesus but yet one died cursing him. I mean I mean he knew his end but yet still was so blinded. And we see that around us today. People blinded to the truth, choosing still to go their own way. I'm going to make it and I'm going to do it my way. And you know what man's way is leading us back to? Here's where we're leading it back to. It's leading us back to a one world government system. I'm not going to get political with this, but turn on the news. You see it happening all over. We see Brexit in England. We see all these. Everyone's trying to battle. What is it? They want supreme power. And this is what the Antichrist wants to be set up because this is from the position that he's going to come and rule this world. He's going to be a man that's going to rule pretty much the nations of this world. And again, we see this unfolding all around us. The mark of the beast is going to be coming. And it's going to be where you're not going to have currency or credit cards anymore. It's going to be chips and scanned. And, and, and if you don't have a chip and you're not scanned, then you're going to be outcast. And you're not going to be... These are all the signs of the times that we see. But in the midst of all of this, there's a blessing that's going to happen. And that's going to be the rapture of the church. Because God is going to take his people out of here. The trump of God is going to sound and all the Christians are going to be taken to earth before there's tribulation and there's problems here upon this earth. 
And then the next thing that we see is going to happen is this. The world is going to be judged again and destroyed. You see the mirror image of what we see in God's word? But this time it's not going to be judged by water and a flood. But this time it's going to be judged by fire. And fire is going to come down and consume. And going to refine and rebuild. But during this time, God still has a remnant of people. Come on, those that He has spared, those that love Him, that He has taken to be in heaven with Him, those who have God in their hearts. And what will we do? We'll join with God and victoriously we'll come back to this earth and we'll bind up Satan and his followers. And what happens as a result, Satan and sin exit. Come on, in the garden, Satan and sin entered. But Satan and sin is going to exit. They had their day, now it's going to be God's time. It's going to be God's time. And then the ultimate result is this. So together with God, God and redeemed man will now live in paradise. It was God and righteous man because he knew no sin. But sin came to this world, so now we're redeemed. Now we're brought back, paid with a price by the shedding blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to live not in a garden called Eden, but we're going to live in heaven with God. We're going to spend eternity with God. The word pat, the word paradise in the Greek and the Hebrew is this, resort. You think of the greatest resort that you ever could, and it's not even close to heaven. A lot of us have so many misconceptions of heaven. It's not just sitting around on clouds strumming harps all day. You know what I'm talking about? If we could just see a true picture of what heaven is, every one of us right now would want to be there. We we would make sure that our name is in the Lamb's book. We would make sure with everything. I don't want to miss that. I I don't want to miss out on that because the Bible says there's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more depression and doubts and fears. God will wipe away every tear from there. What a place heaven's going to be. What a place it's going to be. But do you see, doesn't this help to understand the Bible and just see the picture of the image and the mirror image? that? It has? And I hope it helps you to understand, just to see where we live and how much we need God's Word in order to live because it's not finished yet. Come on, it's not finished yet. God's still rewriting. Oh, God's still writing, not rewriting. God's still writing the end. And He's writing it with you and I. And we're the ones that's helping to bring this to be. But you've got to see the part that you have. So I want to close with this today. You okay? You okay? Just two questions today. What's the subject of the Bible? What's the subject? What's the subject of the Bible? A lot of people can think, well, it's us. We're the subject of the Bible because the Bible was written for us to redeem mankind. Subject is not you. We're the object. But the subject is Jesus. The subject of the Bible is Jesus Christ. It's what the whole Bible is written about. Old Testament and New Testament, it's about Jesus. He was there in the beginning and he's going to be there at the end. Well, Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament. Who do you think was the fourth man in the fire? 
Who, who do you think was there? Why is there over 300 prophecies recorded about him in the Old Testament? Because it's foretelling. The Old Testament is types and shadows of Jesus Christ. Look what we see here. This is Jesus speaking in John 5 verse 39. And he says, you search the scriptures. Think about what he's saying. He's standing to them and he's saying, you search the scriptures. What scriptures did they have at that time? They didn't have the New Testament. They just had the Old Testament, the law. They just had the history. They, they had that. And Jesus said, you search the scriptures because they think they give you eternal life. But what did he say? But all the scriptures points to me. I'm the subject of this. It's all about me. It's all about me. You see, when you read the Bible, you need to read the Bible to find Jesus. Because Jesus is in there if you'll just look for Him. And the truth He wants to bring to your life. Here's the last question. What, what do you think the verb of the Bible is? Most would say love. That's what a lot of people said. Love is the verb of the Bible. What if I told you there's something greater than love? There's something greater than love. It's the foundation, the motivation of love, but there's something greater than love. And we see it in John 3.16. For God so loved, there it is, He loved the world that He gave. He gave, He gave His only begotten Son. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just express it. He gave it. You want to know what the verb of the Bible is? The verb of the Bible is give. Give, give, give. Why is that? He gave so we can give. He gave His life so we can now give our lives. And you see, that's the lens that we must read the Bible through. We've got to understand it's all about Him, but it's about what He gave. And now because of Him, now we can give our lives. And we can find the hope and the strength and the peace. So what do I do when I see God's Word? I've got to find Jesus. I've got to see the gift that He gave. And now I want to give my life to that. And I want to surrender my life to that. What an incredible gift He gave. Jesus Christ. But what's my response to that gift? Now I need to give my life. You see, salvation is not joining a church. That's not our method or message or, or reason why we ask people to get saved so you'll join our church. We think we've got a great church. We think you need to be here. Incredible. There's other great churches in town too. Love so many pastors here in town. But you know what salvation is? Salvation is you giving your life to Him. Realizing the verb and realizing the point and the purpose of God's word. As he gave, now I can give my life. So today, we need to understand the Bible to be able to see the truth that truly is for our lives. It's all about him and now how we can give our lives to him. Would you bow your heads all over this place today?